Hello, this is Mark Lieberman, host of the show, The World According to Mark. And we are interviewing Victoria Browning Wyeth on the show today. And I wanna thank Victoria for agreeing to be on the show. Thank you for having me, Mark. So you have a famous name, Wyeth, and you are doing a lecture series or a lecture at the Asheville Museum of Art in Asheville, North Carolina, which we're gonna talk about. But before we do, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure, so I actually, I just turned 43 on Monday and I grew up in New York City. And ever since I was a, a baby, my parents and I would go to Maine. We have a family place in Cushing, Maine. And so Maine was always a huge part of my life. And when I was about 15 or 16 years old, I really needed a summer job. So I started giving lectures at a museum there called the Farnsworth Art Museum in Rockland, Maine. And as a you know, 16 year old, I had absolutely no idea what I was talking about. So I would sit down with my grandfather and he would you know, just kind of briefly explain the pictures to me. And um, this went on for, you know, until I was in college. And then after graduate school, I, you know, I did the lectures all through college and graduate school in the summer. And after graduate school, I decided I really wanted to take care of my grandparents and move to Chadsford, Pennsylvania. I have no siblings or first cousins. So, you know, my grandfather was getting older. My grandmother had um, dementia. And so I started doing the lectures at the Brandon River Museum. And it was different because I was older, the paintings were different and the crowds were different. It wasn't kind of just summer people coming in, it was people from all over the world. So I started writing down the questions that people had and I would go home every day to my grandparents and sit there with my grandfather and he would explain everything to me and answer their questions. And then I came up with this idea of doing PowerPoints. He said, what's that? And I said, well, it requires you giving me digital images of your work. And he said, well, here's the deal. You come up with a lecture topic and then you can interview me. So I came up with like 15 or 20 lecture topics and really um, tried to just learn as much about his work as possible. And then when he died, I started interviewing his models. So I have what he told me, what he told my grandfather and what he told his models. My only rule is I refuse to watch videos or documentaries on him and read books on him. I feel like it kind of taints my perception of his work. So when I speak, it's really his voice, not so much mine infused with his. Okay. So um, preserving your understanding based upon the many times in which you talked to him, interviewed him and, and so on and so forth. So let's, uh, when, when did Andrew Wyeth die approximately? Uh, January 16, 2009. Okay. So a while ago, but not all, not ancient history by any means. Um, why don't you tell us, I mean, most people probably have heard the name. I've heard the name. I'm not a student of art, but tell us a little bit about Andrew Wyeth, the, the painter and the person, because I, in reading and preparing for the show, I noticed that one of the things you wanted to get across to folks who you interacted with through lectures is who he was as a person. I think I read something that said, not just the Andrew, but the Andy. Right. So, so that's the first thing. So I didn't call him grandpa. We always, I always just called him Andy. So I'll start off with what he was like as a person. He was a 
incredibly affectionate, loving, and very outgoing and very friendly, which I think you'd look at some of his paintings and think, my God, this guy must be so melancholy or just such an old fart, you know, and it was quite the opposite. He was just full of life. His entire life was devoted to painting. I mean, really, that was it. He'd get up at five in the morning, very routine oriented, was out the door by, you know, 6.37. He'd have, you know, breakfast with my grandmother, paint all day, you know, go to the studio for lunch, go paint, have models come to the studio, and then always home at four o'clock for a nap with my grandmother, and then drinks at five, NBC Nightly News, you know, in the evening with um, Tom Brokaw. And I mean, he was just so dedicated. There, there was just not enough hours in the day for him to paint. And, you know, I think what I didn't appreciate as a young girl, I used to think his work was so boring. When I was younger, I'm like, oh my God, where's the color? What's with all these barns? And then I realized he really had this unique way of seeing the world. And as Chad's Ford in Maine it became just littered with technology, he just omitted it from his pictures. So to call him a realist isn't really quite accurate because he's an artist that kind of creates his own reality and omits things and paints people that have been dead for 20 years or a house that's been torn down for 40 years. So. Let me ask you something, if I can understand, uh, and our listeners will understand. When you say he omitted it in connection, in relationship to technology, technology. Oh, so he telephone poles, wires, TV antennas. I mean, entire, you know, shopping malls. He did cars, highways. He painted Chad's board the way he remembered it as a young boy, not the way it existed in reality. So if you, if you have, do you have an opinion as to why he was doing that or what was part, what was well, the because explanation? It's, because it's an eyesore. Okay. So, I mean, it's just awful. I mean, who wants to see Maine, especially stunningly beautiful with the light and Chad's board with it, which is the scenic hills and so forth. And it's just, it looks like crap. You know, you've got all these, you know, developments and, and, you know, stores all over the place and it just ruins it. And so he wanted kind of pure Chad's board. And so that's what he painted. I see. Okay, well, fair enough. I mean, there are painters who paint um, urban environments, paint- Not a big fan of that, unless paint, Edward, paint. I do have to say, I love Edward Hopper, but okay. his is more of a voyeuristic urban kind of, you know, I think of like Nighthawks. Know if you call that urban but you know kind of the diner and the people but it's he adds this kind of as i said hopper adds this kind of voyeuristic gaze and then this great light i think there's so many painters out there but there are not a lot of artists you know and, and andy was an artist so how about telling us how you distinguish those two artist from painter sure I think a painter I mean you I see I live in Philadelphia presently and I walk outside and I see you know all these people outside you know just painting or photographing and copying so I think a painter is someone that doesn't really paint with their heart they paint with their eyes whereas an artist is someone that can look at something and just this very intense emotion is evoked by what he sees and he has the ability to capture that and to show people what he's feeling. And that's communicated through incredible technical ability in unusual perspective and just very strong diagonals, you know? 
Okay. I mean, it's just, there's, I just, I mean, you know it when you see it, what it's like the Supreme Court says, right? You know porn, you know it when you see it, right? You know shitty art when you see it. It just looks terrible. You see these artists and they can't paint hands, for example. They look like claws. Well, they shouldn't be painting hands. They should just stop painting hands and just hide them. Uh, you know, and it just looks just looks awful. You know, well, you can, I went you on can... a date once and this guy's like, please don't go in the gallery and say that you don't like what you see. And I'm thinking to myself, but don't take me in the gallery, you know? Right. Okay. All right. So hands. I was thinking of an image. I remember in grammar school, I guess is what you call it. We would use our hands to paint turkeys. So we would ah! do that. But any of that, I'm sure that's not what you're making reference to. No, but, I mean, I had seen, I had actually never seen that until my, I'm good friends with my ex-husband. I remember when I went to his mom's house, I saw that little hand with the turkey. I'm like, what's that? He's like, didn't you have a childhood? I'm like, apparently not. <laughs> right. Okay. So back on track, you have um, lectured, given talks all over the world. You did a TED talk. You've, you've, you've been before audiences, primarily talking about uh, Andrew Wyeth, but also others in your family. You have a famous My name. My uncle Jamie, yep. So in those discussions, um, you either, you, you've had to either address or people have asked questions about how would you describe, and you, you've, you've started already, how would you describe what, let's just take Andrew for the moment, what Andrew was trying to do besides painting uh would you call first of all would you call most of what andrew wyeth has done landscapes or is that no, absolutely. You've got portraits still lives landscapes but then you have to say well what's a portrait i mean like my uncle for example will do portraits of chickens or pigs or he'll do a, a, a bale of hay and he'll call that a portrait so each artist has their own definition Right, so like for my grandfather, a portrait is defined by someone looking at you. So he does not consider Christina's world a portrait because she's not looking at you. So I think we gotta be careful when we, you know, and just be, like I always say when I give my, my presentations, you can't take what I'm telling you and apply it to other artists. You just can't. You know, it's very specific to Andy or to Jamie. So again, in my travels to various art museums, um, I too, uh, was a resident of the Philadelphia area for a number of years, went to the Philadelphia Museum of Art. But any place I've gone and there's a, a docent or a curator or whatever, or somebody leading folks on tour, it seems invariably that a question is asked uh, something alike, well, what did the artist mean by this? Or what was, Terrible, what was in the right? artist head or why did the artist paint it this color or that color what was right. the and, artist right. so, i don't know which is worse the question or the fact that the docent has the audacity to answer okay so when you are standing in front of or delivering uh, a lecture or a powerpoint or combination <laughs> or whatever and you're talking about the art other than what what, what do you say what, what's, what what's, he told me to say, which is, which is, uh, that's what I'm asking you for. Yeah. What, what, so I, I only go with what he has said, period. You know, I have a, a book in front of me. It's called my Andy journal and it's 
basically, I, I just started taking notes when I was 15 on everything he said. So, I mean, I can like open it and read you something just to kind of give you an example if you'd like. But sure. I, here, let me get it. Give me one second. Of course. For all those tuning in, we are talking to Victoria Browning Wyeth, the only grandchild of the artist Andrew Wyeth. Um, her uh, discussion today is going to be primarily about uh, and, uh, Andrew Wyeth, but we're also going to talk about the contemporary realist Jamie Wyeth. But right now we're focusing on Andrew or Andy. So yeah, Andy. Okay, so your question, right, how do I figure out what to say? So he would tell me what to say about specific pictures, but then he, I would ask more general questions. So this is from an interview that I did with him on a September 27, 2004. And I said, how do your models differ and what they talk about while they're posing? Were any of them particularly chatty or quiet? If so, how did this affect the picture? He said, it's sort of a natural thing. Sometimes it gets personal. A person posing takes on their whole life. I don't think they even realize it. They tell you very personal things. Most of it goes in one ear and out the other. I'm so lost in what I'm trying to depict. Some of it's moving and some of it makes me feel stronger about the painting. I like to get to know the models in a very natural way. I don't go around hunting for people to paint. I usually meet them by chance and I like to get to know them. Um, for example, Nagishik, which is actually uh, in the show that, that um, this, this- At the uh, Asheville Museum of Art, yes. Yep, at the, right, Asheville. He said, Nagishik, when I was painting him in front of the fire, his mouth was partly open. He'd make these Native American chants and I got to know the whole background of his life. So there's a great example of, he's telling me about a specific picture, but then he's saying, here's how I meet my models. So I might be doing a, uh, a PowerPoint presentation looking at a portrait of Helga or looking at a portrait of, I don't know, there's another woman in the uh, Asheville show named Ann Call. It's a painting called On the Edge. And I could talk about how he says it's kind of a natural thing, how I meet the models. So for example, with Ann Call, the woman in the Asheville show from On the Edge, she applied for a job and she was sitting there and she said, look, I like walking through cemeteries at night and picking flowers. And I think most people would think, what the hell is wrong with this person? And my grandfather was like, oh, that's amazing. What kind of person walks through a cemetery at night and B, takes flowers from the dead, you know? And so there's where I would take something he said, and then I could apply it to a thousand pictures. So, and, you know, I have, this is just a small sample, but like what I would do is, you know, I would, if you can see here, so like I, I would, bring a notepad with me and I would just write out everything he said and then I'd run home and type it up. So I have a 700 page journal going back to when I was 15, which is all of these random notes on it. And sometimes, look, we all lose inspiration in life. And sometimes I do, I get frustrated with my job. Someone pisses me off something. And so what I do is I have a duffel bag of notes that I have not yet typed up that they're all from interviews with him and I just grab something in the duffel bag and I read it and it kind of recharges my batteries and lets me know I'm on the right path. Well let me ask you what uh, sort of a small question but it seems related. Did um, your grandfather Andy Andrew Wyeth, I can't resist calling him by his formal name, ah, uh -huh. did he did he 
name his pictures? Did he, and if he did, if he yeah. did, did he name them, you know, more straightforwardly, if it was, you know, Helga or whatever, that okay. was the name. So that's a very interesting question. So what he has told people is my grandmother names them. Now that's not totally true because in his studio in, for example, the studio in Maine that my, my dad and I own on the property, he'd sit there writing the titles on the, you know, on the wall or in his sketch pads, he'd write the title. And so here's an example. So he's at home with my grandmother in 1947. He's just finished this composition, a tempera called Wind from the Sea, done by the National Gallery. It's of these curtains glowing. And my grandmother said, well, what's going on? And, you know, he said, well, there was this wonderful breeze from the sea. This wind came in. She said, that's it, wind from the sea. So I think sometimes it was collaborative. Sometimes she would just come up with the, the title. Sometimes he would come up with the title. But I think quite often he would just give her credit which is interesting, you know, and that's a whole nother kind of area to, to go into. And my grandmother was painfully shy. And I think it was very hard for her. I mean, she never finished college and so forth. I mean, she was very smart, but not formally educated. And I think it was hard for her that she was, you know, a housewife. And so he gave her a lot of control very early on in their marriage, titling, framing, curating, which was rather unheard of, you know, and this one day, this man said, oh, I think it's so great. Your grandmother made your grandfather. And I was furious. I said, what are you talking about? And when I went home, he said, what are you talking about? And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, she made me who I am. I said, that is not true. And here I am sitting here telling him, no, you're wrong. You know, but he felt that to, to really succeed as an artist, he needed her behind him. But I think that she helped him in ways that were good and, and helped him in some ways that weren't so great. I think she was very critical you know, his artwork. I was having dinner with my boyfriend the other night and he said, well, what did she say? Like, what was she like? Because she was a critical, very critical person. And she'd say, take that out of the picture. And I'd sit there at dinner thinking to myself, are you serious? How can you say that to him? Sometimes she was right. Sometimes she was wrong, but I would never say that to an artist. So, I mean, can you imagine being Shakespeare's wife and telling him, take that sonnet out, you know? <laughs> We're talking to Victoria Wyeth, the granddaughter of Andrew Wyeth. And we're talking today about her perspective on her grandfather and his art and the many experiences that she had in talking with him, talking about art, talking about the meaning of certain uh, paintings and so on and so forth and his inspirations, I guess. And we, we drifted a bit to talk about, did he name the art? And you've given us your answer to that. I mean, the reason I asked the question in, in part was, it strikes me that the authors of poetry or novels spend a lot of time thinking about what is the right title to ascribe to this work. What do I want to say? I'm sure the marketing folks assist in that process because they would like to make sure that somebody sees the title or looks at the title and then goes forward and actually thumbs through the, the book and then ultimately buys it. But I'm, I'm guessing that probably was not in any way, shape or form what uh, Andrew Wyeth 
did or, or the motivation for him I coming think up if with. he if, if he had his brothers he would take the picture and just <laughs> tape it to the wall I right. think part of him did, did not like framing titling signing you know it just he was just this very chill guy that just wanted to paint that's it you know he just didn't care about wealth or fame or titles you know it's it just it's part of the game right you have to title and frame but honestly if all people are looking at is the title then they've missed the whole point of the painting you know so, and people stand either too damn close or too far away and you need to get in close and then back up and go back and forth i don't know if you know the gardner museum the isabella gardner museum in, in boston so my father took me there last year for my birthday and I was looking at a Rembrandt self-portrait and daddy looked at me and said, stand back. And I stood back and I just about fell over. There's, you have to look at pictures properly, you know, and, and don't just look at the title, look at the whole thing and then look at the title. So during the time, and you, you know, as you indicated, um, the, you had, you had frequent talks, you talked about art, did you get to a point where you actually revered Andrew Wyatt? That you were you were you were basically uh, awed by his <laughs> miraculous no. talent, or was it? It was like talking to Andy, talking to it was my a father. He was a pain in the ass, just as I'm a pain in the ass. And he, he pissed me off, and I pissed him off. You know, I'd ask too many questions, or. He'd give me these ridiculous answers. You know, I said, what's your favorite painting? Oh, the one I'm working on. I'm like, what kind of answer is that? That's not an answer. You know, or he, I mean, he would just or he'd roll his eyes or he'd pretend he didn't hear something. You know I mean? He was my grandfather. I didn't revere him. I know. I mean, he was just a normal. Do you ever read that book, Everybody Poops? You know, right. Like, he's just a if, normal dude. If I right? did, I wouldn't. If I did, I wouldn't admit it. But go okay, ahead. Fine. I, I, I but get it's the like, point. He's a normal guy that goes to the bathroom, puts his pants on just like everyone else. Yes, there were moments when I, it was weird. Like I was, um, he had a show in 2004 at the Philadelphia Museum. And, you know, it's funny because I'm, I'm getting ready to move to Maine and I'm sitting here reflecting and packing up my apartment, thinking about all my memories of Philly. And I'm driving down the highway and there's a bus with his painting on it, zooming by me. And I remember I called him like, you better not die. You know, and he's like, I'm not planning on it. But, you know, I would say it was really after he died that I kind of took a step back and was like, holy cow, you know, and sometimes I do catch myself staring at his work, not in awe of who he was, but just the, the, he's so prolific and he's so damn good. He's just, he was so good. It's just, it's just yeah. So more in retrospect, I mean, because let's face it, how many people had the opportunity that you had to have a close, um, I'll use the word intimate for want of a better word, but a close, um, easy to talk with relationship with a man who is revered by many in the art world and you say he was prolific, and I want to talk about what that means here. So you were in a, a unique position, and maybe while you, it was happening, again, he's primarily your granddad who happens right. to have this particular uh, vocation, talent, whatever, 
but that didn't stop you from thinking of him in familial terms. But yeah. afterwards, you had to say, at least from time to time, as you as you said, wow, that was that was something else. The experiences that I I had with him and the experience I have when I look at his art today and in 2022. I, I now you have to remember I was also 25. You know when he when I moved to Chad's board, I was 29 when he died. I was just, you know, I was 29. I was just not thinking clearly. And I, I just didn't, you know, my greatest regret is I never really said thank you for everything he did for me, not my career, but just letting me in his heart and in his mind. And I had no confidence in myself as a speaker. And he gave me confidence and, and said, you're the best, you know, you're the best at speaking in my work. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm really not that good. No, nope, you are. And, you know, and he believed in me in a time when I just didn't believe in myself. And I'm constantly surrounded by people that are doubting me and criticizing me. And I just remember that he believed in me and all these haters, they have no idea what the hell they're talking about. Well, let me ask you a couple of questions regarding that. Um, I have some follow-up questions to what you just spoke about. Did you ever get the sense in these discussions that you had with Andrew Wyeth that he... You gotta stop calling him that. It's just so Andy, weird. Okay. Mr. Wyeth, that guy. <laughs> okay. That he wanted you to be a spokesperson at the time, but after his death to carry out and spread the word about who he was as a as an artist and so on and so forth. Did you feel that you had that you were under that obligation, or is it just something? So it was you... never an obligation. First of all, I would not use the term spokesperson. I think he knew he saw something in me, my interest in his work, and my ability to, to speak publicly about it. And those two things, I think, gave him the confidence to say, "Okay, here's." you know, my mini version of me that's going to keep my memory alive. I think he, I don't think he had any idea that the lectures would explode the way they have. I don't think he had any idea that I'd be hauling his paintings into prisons and, and doing, you know, pop-up galleries for prisoners. I think he'd be so excited, but I think he had no idea, like the TEDx talk that I did. I don't think he ever thought that I'd be sitting there in front of, you know, 3,500 kids speaking on him and my uncle. And I certainly never thought Zoom would be possible that I'd be, I mean, this is the silver lining of the pandemic. I do pro bono lectures for kids all over the United States. I mean, I did a lecture in Israel, you know, on Zoom. I don't think he ever thought that, nor did I, that this would happen. But I have no doubt in my mind that this is what he wanted. So, Give us some idea of, uh, you use the term prolific, uh, we all know what that means, but give us some idea of how many individual works. Thousands, thousands, thousands and thousands. I mean, you look at some of his tempras and there are 70 preliminary studies for one painting, for one painting. I mean, it's just, it's the Wyeth office gets pissed off when I say, you know, how many he's done which I don't even understand why it's so secretive, but so to respect them, I'm not going to sit here and give numbers, but it is mind blowing. And it's really hard to impress me. And I look at his work and I just think, Jesus, how did he do this? 
Well, let me ask you a question, which I hope you don't think is naive, but besides the fact that his paintings hang in a number of galleries, um, I'm sure that many of his paintings have also been sold to individuals or private companies. Not that this is the measure of the man, but what's the most expensive price that you, if, if you know it, uh, or the sure, range of prices? There was a prices. painting that sold, I think it was, it's either Sotheby's or Christie's before he died. So this was in like 2006, 2007. It was called Ericsson's. It's a tempera that, with the buyer's premium. I think it was 10.466 million. I see. That, was, that broke the auction records. Okay. And it was actually just donated to, I think it was the Virginia Museum, which is incredible. I mean, paintings like that belong in a museum. It's wonderful that collectors have them, but I mean, at the end of the day, it should, you know, I own this, I own this painting called Master Bedroom of a, a dog sleeping on the bed. And I have loaned it since I inherited it since I was in college. And for the first time, I just hung it, you know, at a house. And, and it was, it belongs in a museum, but I wanted to enjoy it. We're talking to Victoria Browning Wyatt. I keep saying this, but I'm, for those just tuning in, the only grandchild of Andrew slash Andy Wyeth. And you are also related to um, an illustrator named N.C. Wyeth. And you are the niece of a contemporary realist, Jamie Wyeth. Um, fair question to ask you if N.C. Wyeth and Jamie Wyeth are still with us. So NC, no, uh, NC was killed on October 19th, 1945 in a car accident. My hmm. uncle is doing great. Um, I spoke to him a couple days ago and he's painting, you know, he is also massively prolific like my grandfather. Would you, uh, again, in presumably overly simplistic question, would you, do you see any similarities in terms of the art um of jamie versus andy but maybe first you might want to describe i've seen jamie described as a contemporary realist is there yeah, any so similarities I mean, yeah i mean i think all those labels are you know bs i think the first similarity is their work ethic uh, you know you have to take a step back and say i mean these guys aren't going into an office you know nine to five with a boss but yet my uncle's up at six in the morning painting, right? And the difference between Jamie and Andy too, Jamie paints at night, very late, which is fascinating, right? That's number one. So I'd say the work ethic. Number two, this sheer love of capturing the world around them. The difference though, Jamie, the whole family, we're all these crazy dreamers. Jamie paints his dreams and they're really cool. So I think that's what, and also, and I mean this with the great amount of love and respect, I mean, we are weird. This is a weird family, you know, it, weird in a, you know, just kind of like macabre. And so Jamie it just incorporates this kind of funky personality into his work in a way that my grandfather doesn't. You look at Andy's work and you'd say, my God, this guy's such a bump on the log. You look at Jamie's work and say to yourself, I'd like to hang out with this dude on an island, you know, stranded for a month and my head would probably explode. You, you know, and so I think Jamie takes our family's imagination the way that N.C. Wyeth did and incorporates it into the work, but his work is grounded in reality, whereas N.C.'s work was based on, you know, books and illustration. 
So when you say um, that Jamie Wyeth, you look at his picture and then you think I could identify with that person well enough to have a drink, mm -hmm. go to a bar, have a hot dog, whatever. What can you give us some color into that? What does that, how do you, how do you get to that? Other than people say, yeah, I'd like to hang out with that dude. What is it about Jamie's work that you think creates that, that kind I of think you look at his, I think you look at his work and sometimes it just makes you laugh. You know, like you look at the way he depicts animals and he kind of anthropomorphizes them. They're, the animals are almost smiling at you. And then there's other work that's just so kind of dark and, you know, and you just think to yourself, wow, I'd like to be in this dude's head. So I think Jamie's personality really comes through in his work in a way that my grandfather's unfortunately doesn't. And I, what I give my uncle a lot of credit for, I mean, this is a tough family to come from. I'm very lucky I don't paint, right? So Jamie is Andy's son, but he just totally carved his own way of his own style, his own medium. And I just, I just give him so much credit. It's a tough, it's a tough, group to come from my grandmother was she was really tough and you know Jamie emerged victorious and did his own thing and I just think that's awesome and he's a good guy he's a good loving person you know I think you've got a lot of people that are famous and it gets to their head and Jamie and my aunt Phyllis who, who has passed away do so many good things you know for philanthropic with children with abandoned, you know, retired racehorses. You know, he's not jet setting. I mean, he, he, he helps people, which is so important. To be famous is great, but you have to use that fame for something awesome and kind of harness that power and do something with it. Otherwise, you're just as terrible as everyone else. It doesn't require you to go up for 30 seconds in somebody's rocket ship to prove that no, you can right. do it. <laughs> I mean, which I'm sure would be fun. I mean, I'm terrified of heights, so I would never do that. But, you know, like they started this. I mean, it's, it's great. It's called the Herring Gut Learning Center in Maine. And they take kids that have had trouble in school and they and they educate them and they teach them. I mean, all these hands on activities. And it's just awesome. He's got a good he's got he's a, he's a good person. He's a loving person loving person and he's just he's so good with animals yeah I'm not an animal person so I just don't understand and he just he's got a great heart he really does so to spend a little bit more time on on Jamie uh, did Jamie get active or direct encouragement from Andy aka Andrew Wyeth to pursue art or did Jamie just decide that's what he wanted to do and he had other mentors or inspirations for that. I think that Jamie could have said he wanted to be you know a rocket launcher and my grandfather would have supported him so because Andy was his dad he loved him and supported him whatever he did I'm sure the fact that Jamie was an artist my grandfather loved but you know I asked my uncle I said well when you were training with your aunt Carolyn Andy's sister did Andy come and see the work or ask what you were painting? He said, no, it's just perfectly natural. I just come home and we'd have a normal dinner. And so he encouraged, my grandparents encouraged my uncle because he was their son and they loved him. But it wasn't like, well, let me see your work and put it next to mine, you know? Okay, so now I wanna ask you another question. Um, and again, those just tuning in, or those who hopefully have uh, stayed with us, 
I am talking with Victoria Browning Wyeth, grandchild of Andy, You're forcing me to say Andy, Andy Wyeth, otherwise known as Andrew, to persons who are not uh, family members. Um, and we're talking about both uh, Andrew, Andy Wyeth's work, and that we've been talking for the last several minutes about um, Jamie Wyeth. I wanna ask you this, did you have the opportunity besides having extensive conversations with your grandfather to observe him while he was quote, in the act of painting and to peer over his shoulder or not? No, so he did not like people watching him paint. He said, do you let people watch you have sex? I said, no, I, I don't, I try not to unless the person I'm having sex with or having sex with me, he said, right. So I don't want someone watching me paint because I feel like that's like having someone watch me have sex. So the only time that I saw him paint was when I came home and he was painting, you know, uh, like, which wasn't very often, or if I'd wake up and he was outside the window painting, or if I was posing for him. Okay. So you mentioned earlier in um, this discussion that your uh, grandfather was, you know, very rigorous about a schedule. He'd get up early and he'd have breakfast he'd go out and then he'd come back to his studio. So in the, in the going out, was he going to a place where he wanted to paint what was, what was happening in that place? So it it depends. A- I think sometimes he'd go out for, you know, for a burger for lunch. Sometimes he would go to a model's house and paint them there. Sometimes he'd just screw around in the car and see what, you know, there, it's not, so rule oriented right. you know it's like you go for a walk right well you don't know where you're gonna maybe you have a rough idea of where you're gonna walk but you know you might go here you might go there and he might see something pull over and do a drawing you know just but the, but the way but the way in which the production of the art piece was carried out was in a was in a studio i mean he might no the watercolors are done it's called in plain air they're done outside I the see. tempras are done in the studio the preliminary studies for the tempras or the watercolors are done outside and then he brings them to the studio, scatters them about on the floor and does the picture. Okay. For, for those who are not familiar with that term tempera, can you briefly sure. describe what so, that is? So um, I've had many a boyfriend that have called it tempura. So tempura <laughs> is, is battered and fried, you know, food. Tempera, egg tempera is one of the oldest mediums in existence besides encaustic, which is um, encaustic is kind of wax with powdered pigment. Egg tempera is the yolk of a, uh, a, a, a white egg. The brown eggs have too much oil. So you pierce the yolk, you get the contents. You mix that with distilled water, purified water and ground color pigment lasts for three days. And you have a, a palette with deep wells and each well is a different color, a different mixture. If you actually look at his very early tempers on the back of them, they have the, the um, the recipe, if you will, for how much of this and how much of that until he finally memorized it. So let me understand though, is tempera something like a sketch pad of something that will later be transformed into a quote, regular no, te- painting? Tempera is a medium. Tempera is the medium itself. It's a medium with which he uses to create a painting. So he worked in pencil, watercolor, and egg tempera. I see. He uh, used to work in oil and um, 
and uh, pen and ink, you know, pastel was a long time ago though. So what was, uh, what, was what, what drew him to use? And I, I've not heard of that medium, but okay. I'm not a student of the arts. Is what drew uh, Andy to that medium? And detail. It, it allows for excruciating detail. If you think of a spectrum, watercolors on one end and tempers on the other. So watercolor is really wild and it kind of controls you and it's washy and quick. Tempera is just every single hair on someone's head is done in painstaking detail. So if you've got a crappy artist, they're not going to work in tempera because they can't control the brush like that. You have to be a good artist. How often or how much of, let's just say, art that's produced or created today uses that medium? Not a lot. Okay. I mean, it's hard. You know, it's very hard. It's like going, it's so much easier to, I love photography. So it's so easy to take a digital photo, but it's only a few people, right, that can go in the lab and actually print it. So, okay. I mean, it's, it just requires more skill. Okay. And it's not fast. People want quick. They want, you know, and, and quick isn't always good. Okay. So I know that we had discussed not having this interview focused too much on you personally, which I understood and agreed to honor that. But you are not a painter. You said that would not, that was not something that was. Um, I just can't. I'd love to. I would, I would love to work in egg tempera more than anything. So have you, did you try? So the, evidently you, you tried at some point you did you did attempt to do to, to create paintings of some sort and and then just decided that wasn't yours oh yeah you're yeah so yeah. i took i had to take okay i had to take art my freshman year in college and um it was just awful you know i i just did a terrible terrible job and my uncle had to do my final project for me and it was just, I'm just not good. I don't have the technical ability. Okay. But interestingly enough to me and hopefully the audience is you're a photographer, which I take it means not only that you take photographs, but you take photographs, work with photographs to create a quality image and maybe you sell them and maybe nope, they're- I don't no. sell. So they're just for you- for me. I so and I only photograph things that I really care about and that I like so you know I, I go skiing with my boyfriend and I'll photograph his sons and they'll say well why do you take so many pictures and how do you explain how do you explain that I I enjoy capturing the moment I had a boyfriend once he said don't you feel that you're missing something by taking pictures all the time and I thought to myself, that's a really stupid comment because it's quite the opposite. I feel that I'm capturing a moment by taking a picture. So again, as I spoke about with you uh, earlier in the show, you have lectured literally, to use that word, which I don't use very often, all over the world, talking about the paintings of Andrew talking about uh, the art of Jamie as well. And I guess I want to ask you and you and you and, and you've gotten a large 
following of folks that love that and are interested in it from small towns to, you know, artist, you know, cities across the world that are known for um, their appreciation of art, Tokyo to Paris, I think is what I wrote, read. What is it, have you, have you thought about or you figured out from your interactions, why is uh, the, the, the art still so appreciated in these days? It's obviously, um, th there must be something that has resonated that continues to resonate because we see art of a million different kinds. I'm sure that when Andy started painting, you know, there were wide variations, but nothing like what we're seeing today. And then of course we have the whole social media where people don't even yeah. need to walk into yeah, I mean, what is it about his his art in particular and jamie's if you wish to speak about it that continues to resonate they're so damn good they're so good you stand in front of their pictures and you just freeze and it i think they transport you to memories that are olfactory that are visual that are tactile I mean, I know with me, when I look at his work, I just sometimes I kind of lose my breath, you know, and it's just my, it's tricky because for me, I mean, they're painting my life too, like my uncle and my grandfather, right? So it's like my photo album, but I think people, they just, it just makes them pause and kind of smell the roses. Okay. So we have a, a little bit of time left in the interview. I want to talk um, a little bit specifically about the lecture that you're going to be doing this uh, Saturday at uh, the Asheville Art Museum. Is this your first time doing this sort of thing in Asheville? Or? Yes, I've never been. To, I don't believe I've ever been to Asheville before. And what was the um, what was the attraction? To come here. So, so a Bank of America has a fantastic collection of uh, my family's work and they loan it to museums all over the world. So it was just in Albany, New York. Now it's at Asheville. And so Asheville um, asked if I would come and do a gallery talk in the morning and then a PowerPoint at night. Okay. Do you have now a Asheville self-describes itself or its boosters to describe itself as a eclectic town, an artsy town, a theater town, a music town, in addition to beer town and whatever. Do you have a sense of um, what kind of reception you might get and whether the people in Asheville are going to be as interested as the people in other locales? I have no idea. I mean, I, I certainly hope so. But I mean, I, I was giving a lecture at a museum once and I looked at this woman and I did not identify myself. I said, do you like Andrew Wyeth? No, I can't stand them. I said, well, why are you here? <laughs> well, I just want to hear what she has to say. And I thought, oh. And so I got up and I said, well, there are a lot of people here that don't like Andy. And I just focused on her the whole lecture and just kind of smiled and winked at her, you know. So I'm sure there'll be people that hate the show. I'm sure there'll be people that love the show. But, you know, I, I, if they don't know Andy and Jamie and my great grandpa, I hope they do after the show. Give them a chance. So uh, now that you've opened that uh, issue a bit, when you give your lecture, I'm sure that you are open to questions and entertain of questions. Course. Do things ever get um, controversial, heated, 
people. I mean, I'm better when I was when I was younger. I'd get more pissy, but I think <laughs> I've you know my my boyfriend always tells me I need to develop a thicker skin, which I'm working on. I mean, I definitely I'll go home and call him mad or crying, you know, but I won't show it in public. But yeah, I mean, it's my family. If someone asks a really personal question or starts insulting them, of course I get pissed, but I can't, I'm not getting paid to get angry, right? So I have to represent the museum and represent my family. But yeah, I mean, I'm human, so. Right, but, but the, the reason I asked the question um, is we're looking at art. We're talking about art. We're talking about artists. We're talking, we're talking about, about my family. Though. And your family, there. right. Yeah. But, but me, if I'm an observer and I decide to see an exhibition, I want to be there. I may mm -hmm. have certain positive or potentially negative reactions to some art, but if I'm signing up, so to speak, as people are when they come to the lectures, or making a de deliberate effort to see a particular artist, I presumably have read up on the artist. I know something about the artist. I get there. Not necessarily. I, well, could be. And then I yeah. learn a lot. I can't imagine having it in any way, shape, or form move into a realm where there's, you know, co controversy. But you've been in various. I mean, no one's thrown paint on the paintings yet, or you know, and or tempera. Yeah, eggs or no one's asked for their money back, but I'm sure there's a first time for everything, right? It'll keep me grounded and humble, won't it? Okay. <laughs> well, as you survey what you've been doing for what, how many years have so you I been? I just turned 43 and I started when I was about 15. So 20, 25, 28 years. Jeez. <laughs> Holy cow, oh my God. <laughs> that sounds like a long time, but you still have the passion, it would appear, and you still feel motivated to- Because I love them, they're my family. Right. They've made me who I am, you know? So, and for that, I'm very grateful. Now, you, you've done other things in your life, which we may not necessarily want to get into, but you've done things that are very different than having anything to do with art and having anything to do with yeah I, I always I'm my mom's family is very academic so I um so I, I went to graduate school for psychology I studied the history of 19th century psychiatry and then I got a job for 10 years as a therapist I specialized in uh sex uh, sex crimes and men in paraphilias and I had a, a good friend in college who was sexually assaulted as a child and I wanted to make sure that I did something to to kind of help people that had gone through things like that. And so I found it easier to deal with the perpetrators and the victims. So that's what I did. And then I stopped. I unfortunately developed breast cancer in, um, you know, uh, when I was about 35. And so I stopped seeing patients. And then I went and worked for a gentleman named Dr. Aaron Beck, who discovered something called cognitive behavioral therapy. And I worked for him for about three years and he just passed away at hundred in uh, November. And so now I'm moving to Maine to hang out with my boyfriend and, and give lectures and, and just focusing on a lot of pro bono stuff for schools. So can you see um, the way forward for you in the next several years? Where, what do you think might be uh, other avenues, 
perhaps related to what you've been doing um, since you started the lectures series for the Wyeths for your family, as you say, what new things or new avenues would you feel like you'd want to explore and which are available to you? I think just, I mean, utilizing Zoom to do more pro bono lectures for students. You know, I really, I love focusing on fourth grade through college. And this platform allows me to reach people that I never would have been able to. So I think just doing more philanthropic things. Do you see a way in which, besides the use of the technical aspects of Zoom and virtual settings, um, anything that could be described as really avant-garde? So I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. And this is not that avant-garde, but recently um, we went to an exhibition for Van Gogh, which has been- um, Oh yeah, the immersive sort of, thing, right? The immersive around the country. Um, yeah, I don't not, think that's gonna happen with my family's work. And, and, and that's not something that- Yeah, that's copyrighted. No, that's not gonna happen. Okay, all right. Well, um, I think we've sort of covered the ground here, but I wanna give you, we have a few minutes remaining. Is there anything that we haven't covered? Yeah, I, I think if there are any teachers that are listening, please reach out to me on, I have a, a website, you can just Google my name and I would love to do some fabulous pro bono lectures on Zoom for your, for your students. Okay, well, that's a good invitation. And again, did you, did you give them the coordinates <laughs> to get to it? It's, if you just, it's victoriawyeth.com. If you just Google my name, my website will pop up. I'm pretty easy to find. There's not a lot of Victoria Wyeths out there. And uh, what do you think is the right age for people to access the sort of lectures that you give? I, you mean, well, like the kids ones, I'd say fourth grade and older. I think it's tricky below fourth grade. I mean, they can appreciate it, but the techni it's technical and like the, it's just tough, you know? So I'd say fourth grade and older is pretty good. Okay. Well, I want to thank my guest, Victoria Browning Wyeth today for spending the time with us to educate us about her wonderful and extraordinary family and bring us a little closer to knowing a little bit more about them. But of course, not to be too trite here, a picture is worth a thousand words. So I think I want to encourage people to see the exhibit in Asheville and to see the, and those who are beyond Asheville as this podcast is available nationwide should be looking to find out more about Andrew Wyeth, N.C. Wyeth, Jamie Wyeth, the Wyeths in general, and explore their art and give themselves the opportunity to witness the greatness and wonderfulness that you've been able to share with us today on, on this interview. Well, thanks for having me, Mark. Well, it's been a real pleasure and a real honor. Thank you so much.